and welcome to the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oatley, and your worldly wise Wolverhampton Wanderers wordsmith, Tim Spears. Hello, Tim. I'm not going to start singing, are you? <laughs> Have you forgiven me for letting you down? <laughs> well, I thought you did really well. Oh, it's so embarrassing. No, you did good. I was, I was really impressed. I've watched it this morning. I was expecting a car crash and it was, yeah, you did really well. <sighs> Oh, this, the pressure though, the pressure when you're on that stage. It wasn't so much from the audience, it was the lack of time. In case anybody's no idea what we're talking about, it was a, a chase for charity that we did at the weekend on ITV with Fallon Sherrick, who was brilliant, Dev Griffin and Johnny Vegas. It was great fun, it was great fun. But I'm never ever going to sing on this podcast and that is a really good thing for everybody involved. <laughs> Do you know what? You mentioned about the panic. Uh, yeah, obviously we'll get to the football very quickly, but I, I would just say I've never seen your, you, I've never seen you make those facial expressions before. When Brad, when Bradley says, "Are you ready?" before your quick fire round, the look of concentration on your face, and then throughout that minute, sort of a mix of like intense, in very intense concentration while you're listening to the questions, mixed with sort of rabbit in headlights. It was, uh, it was <laughs> kind of reminded me of Paul Gladon's debut for Wolves. It was like. <laughs> Exactly. We all know what happened to him. Or we don't know what happened to him, but he didn't make it in England, that's for sure. Anyway, thank goodness that's over. You, no, you did You did really well. I thought you, with the multiple choice, you were great. Well, you absolutely smashed it. Multiple choice, round, And then at the end, you were buzzing in, getting loads of answers. But the singing, I uh, just, uh, you know, how did that, how did that happen? How I don't know happen? how that happened. I think it's because the others were saying how nervous they were. So I thought, right, I need to kind of step up here. And I wasn't nervous. I was really looking forward to it. And I was just in such a good mood. And that's what happens when I'm in a good mood. I see but not normally on national television on Saturday night. So embarrassing. The chaser was so mean to you as well. He said, what did he say? He said, a player as, as weak of you, as weak as you should have taken the lower offer. I, I just, I wanted to jump through my TV screen and kind of give him what for. It's like, how dare you? In defence of me. Oh, thanks, Spiders. That means a lot. That means a lot. Thank you. I think we should get on with this podcast. Let's do that. Joining us on the podcast this week anyway, the former Wolves and England winger Matt Jarvis reflects on that frustrating and deflating home draw with Newcastle. It was so nearly elating until that late free kick. So close to being a third successive 1-0 win and fifth place until Friday it would have been when they could have gone top with a win over Palace. But it was not to be. And we will discuss why. And we have a special guest on as well a little bit later on to talk about the Wolves leader and club legend in the making. Will he get a will he get a statue one day, I wonder? Or is that getting a bit premature? Connor Cody, of course. Carl Robinson is the manager of Oxford United and knows all about Connor. He was a Liverpool Academy coach when Connor came through, and he'll tell us how he stole him from under the noses of their nearest rivals. And we'll answer your texts and requests, mostly for more exciting first halves and uh, and a few more goals, I would have thought. But Tim, what are your thoughts on the game? Um, I mean, there were more positives than negatives, for sure, I, th- I thought. It was, it was, I mean, Nuno calls for improvements week after week, game after game. And, you know, on the two previous games, was it a, an improved attacking performance? Yes, it was. There were more shots. There was more attacking play. They started the game well on the front foot. They haven't been doing that recently. Early chances. I couldn't believe what I was watching. Um, but the first half did end up being a bit wolvesy, I guess you could say. And there's a lot of people on my timeline saying it was boring again, which I felt was a, I felt was a bit harsh. You know, Newcastle were very limited and, and very defensive. And fortunately for Wolves, kind of lacked the ability to break in the slightest. Um, so it was kind of steady one-way traffic for the most part um 
yeah, those those boring accusations just won't go away, really, uh, despite them having 16 shots, which is an improvement on recent weeks. It is frustrating to watch Wolves at the moment. There's, there's, no, there's no getting away from that. Despite an improved performance, it's still only one goal. We know they're still playing catch-up from this truncated summer, which, you know, we must still keep taking into account. It's only six games into the season. After 15, 20 games, that's when we you know, we should fully expect them to be in their stride and I look forward to seeing where they are on the table at that time. But it has been a while, Jackie, since a dynamic 90-minute performance. Probably only one since lockdown, which was that Everton game against a very poor Everton team that day in July. I just, you know, I look at this team, Jimenez, Pedence, Neto, Traore, Neves, Matinho, Semedo, we know what he can do. A plethora of sort of creative attacking talent that... Probably more than half the league would be envious of, maybe, roughly, I'd say. And, and certainly envious of, of the depth of options that Wolves have got and the money that they can spend. And it just feels like they should be doing more to entertain us, really. Um, it's just not entertaining at the moment. And we know the reasons why, but on and on it goes. You know, Leeds had 27 shots at Villa when they won 3-0 at the weekend. I'm not sure Wolves are capable of having 27 shots in a game at the moment. On the flip side, the goals against Column is, is is fantastic. Since that West Ham horror show, they've, they've shored up the defence to, to back to what it was last season. They hardly conceded any. The clean sheets record is outstanding compared to the rest of the whole entire Premier League. And they're picking up points still. You know, seven points from nine in the last three. Is, we'd have all have taken it. We'd all have taken it. And Palace at home to come. So, And as you say, they could have been top of the league on Friday were it not for a disorganised defensive wall at the end of the game. So it's... It's a real sort of mishmash of, of opinions and stats and contradictions at the moment. But at the end of it all, Wolves are in a pretty decent position in the table, all things considered. Would you have been saying similar things had that free kick not gone in at the end? No, well, I think the ends justified the means if you win 1-0. And I think after Jimenez's goal, Wolves did sit back. They really did sit deep and invite Newcastle onto them. And that's Nuno's way. And I thought... His post-match quote was very telling when he kind of said, we can't regret what we missed, as in the chances we missed. However, we should regret what we did for the goal, for Newcastle's goal. A lot of managers wouldn't say that. A lot of managers would come out and say, we should have been out of sight. We should have been 2 3 nil up. But Nuno wouldn't say that. He doesn't regret that they didn't score a second. He just regrets that they conceded at the end. And that's the sort of manager he is, really. He'll never go for a second or third goal. Historically, he's never really done that at Wolves or elsewhere. So... There was just a bit of an inevitability about that equaliser, I suppose, once Wolves got their goal and started sitting back. So, yeah, in answer to your question, if, if, if they win 1-0 and it's been you know fairly dull again, perhaps, then you could say it's justified. But the fact they haven't won when they, sh- when they should have done, you've got to ask some questions. Yeah, Nuno said to Sky afterwards he wasn't happy with the wall, of course. He said it can't go to that side of the wall. And talking about the first half, second half business, he says... I wish we could play 90 minutes, all good, let's try. We need to be sharper in our combinations and in final delivery, but defensively, we were all OK. Work, work in progress. The lack, lack of goals is an issue, mm. and I've written a piece on that today. Work in progress, um, still. They're so reliant on Jimenez. Jimenez has scored four of their six goals. It's great that Jimenez is in form. It looks like a third season in a row that he's, that he's going to be a prolific goal scorer for Wolves. Roughly one in two, that's what he scores. Looks like he's going to be doing the same again. But some of the stats of players who haven't scored for a while are, are quite eye-opening, really. Um, Traore not scoring for 25 league games now since that Man City 3-2 way back in December. Not scored since then. Matinho hasn't scored for 31 games. Neves hasn't scored for 32 
it's almost an entire season and he's had 70 odd shots in that time and Bolly for 33 and I know Bolly's not a goal scorer but you know you still you want people to chip in um you could say that they aren't those type of players Martino and Neves have touched the ball in the opposition penalty area 11 times combined since the start of last season what so they're not mental isn't it we all gone about Neves not going in the box wow. you know Martino doesn't either Martino has touched the ball in the box six times since the start of last season, and Neves five times. So that's, as per instructions, they're not supposed to be getting in the box, mm. but I just think players of these of these quality have got to be doing better. And Traore, again, you can say he doesn't get in shooting positions very often. He's always out wide. But again, a player of his quality, we know he can do it in front of goal. So you can't just have Jimenez scoring goals and a bit of Neto and a bit of Pedence unless you're going to be playing for 1-0 every week with an incredibly tight defence. And that's, I think that's sort of where Wolves are at right now, really. You know, not great to watch. It was a bit better on Sunday, but no clinical touch. And the finishing was terrible. It was either pretty far off target or straight at Darlow. So there are, there are issues to iron out. Like I said, if it's if it's 1-0 to clean sheet, then we're looking at it as a positive. But the lack of goals is, is an issue every single week at the moment that needs to be rectified. Yeah, had that late free kick not gone in, we would still have to talk about the lack of goals because it is still an issue. Well, let's bring in Matt Jarvis now, who knew all about how to create goals in his time in Gold and Black, and now he's doing the same for Woking. Hi, Matt. Hi, you okay? Congratulations, by the way, on your weekend FA Cup victory at Aldershot into the first round proper, and I think that was a first start for you, was it? It was, yeah. It was nice. Lovely to sort of get back out on the pitch and... And to play, yeah, did sixty minutes. It was a got an got an assist, and uh, we were through to the next round in a local derby, which was it's amazing. Couldn't really ask for a better start. So yeah, a nice weekend. Excellent, well done you, and um, nice weekend until you watched Wolves one, Newcastle one. Um, well, it was it wasn't that bad, was it? It it was an improvement. But what were your thoughts on it? Um, it was an improvement. The the it's the style of play that that Nuno wants to implement this season, which is. The, the thing that's ultimately sort of going to take the focus. Um, yes, there was a lot of possession. Uh, Wolves were passing it around lovely uh, from right to left, back to the middle, back to the right. You know, really good passage of plays. But it was just when they got to the final third, there was, if Pedence got on a ball, did that fantastic bit of skill and put a cross on the ball, there was really one player in the box and the same with Neto, uh, got it out of his feet, put a fantastic ball right across the six-yard box and there was still no one in the box to to tap them in. And even for Jimenez's goal, you're thinking, what's he doing not in the box? It was, uh, he, he was at, you know, on the edge of the box when the, when the uh, corner, or, corner of the free kick was coming in. Um, and you're thinking, well, as a centre forward, you should be in the middle of the box, but he obviously knows where the ball's going to land because he, he done the, he done the rest and put a fantastic strike in, but it is that getting the opportunity to take on your fullback one-on-one, which you look at the game, Newcastle were always going to be that team that sat back and defended and were hoping for a set piece to, to get a goal and unfortunately for Wolves that's exactly what happened. How, how do they correct this problem um, Matt because we were looking at those clips and particularly really really good ball in from Neto on the left it was so Matt Jarvis by the way I'm not blowing smoke but it had you written all over it but you probably had Stephen Fletcher busting a gut to get on the end of it didn't you but what is it in the makeup of this side that there's nobody that seems absolutely desperate centre-forward-wise, to get on the end of things. Of course, they've got Raul and he's absolutely brilliant. But it all seems a little bit passive in the box. 
is is that tactics from Nuno that he doesn't want the numbers in there? Maybe, maybe. I think you you are right though. We, we you know you look at it. You put balls across box. You're going to have centre forwards and a mid, and an attacking midfielder that's desperate to get on the end of them balls. Um, you, you're wanting to score goals. That's that's the whole purpose. You know, you want to be that match winner that's getting the glory and scoring the goals, but. It just looks like whenever there was an opportunity to put in the ball, uh, put the ball in the box, you'd, they'd either have a look up and it'll be like, mm, no, we'll we'll pass again, and and everyone's looking to feet, no one's looking to get that one that's just you know, like quickly put it over the top and you're straight in on goal. Everyone's looking to come to feet and and have that pretty pass, pretty you know, try and walk the ball into the back of the net. It's only when you you put Traore on the pitch that everyone starts thinking, right, he's going to put a cross in, so they start trying to get get to the box but Newcastle obviously knew what was going to happen they were trying to double up and even put three on him at some point to try and stop the supply which you know most teams are going to do that now because they know that as soon as Traore gets the ball he's a massive threat. So what else would you like to see happen from this set of players because it's not as if they're going to change personnel they're clearly going to work to improve with what they have so in the next match at home to Crystal Palace what do they need to do to make sure that they're creating proper chances, not half chances, not skewing it over the bar from 20 yards out with bodies uh, defensively in the box. What would you urge them to do? Well, I think it's the perfect um, starter game for them to go to Crystal Palace because they're going to be exactly the same. You know, they all get behind the ball. They all look for that counter-attack and they've got pace to to exploit on the counter. So it's a bit like a Wolves reverse last season. They would sit and get back and counter. Whereas this season, you know, you need... I like Pedence. I think he's he's a fantastic player. He's got great pace, great skill. Um, I think he sort of... You, you look at him on the left wing, you think maybe he could go in as a, in behind Jimenez and you could still have Neto and and Traore to come in to try and make that a little bit more of a tacky. And I think that, you know, the midfield is, is so solid, but you you need someone that's going to make the box. You need someone that's going to have that bit of flair to, to open something up. And yes, you've obviously got Silva that's, you know, supposed to be that player, but, he, you know, that's a lot of pressure to put on. Yes, he's record signing. Yes, he's young. It's a lot of pressure to put on him straight away to come in and, and get that role. But... It's it's something that you, you could look at because you're always going to be solid. You've got a fantastic back, sort of three within the the wing backs. But you, you you're looking for that creativity of one, so at least one player from your midfield to get forward and get in behind the lines and try and pull the defenders out, and so you can create space for for someone to run in behind. And if you've got Jimenez, Traore, Pedence, and Neto on the pitch, and they're you know Traore's holding one touchline, Neto's the other, you. Pedence is a fantastic player to be able to get turned and he's jinky, he's quick. You know, players aren't going to want to dive in on him because they're going to get free kicks and penalties. So it's it's a it's a possibility that, that that could be an idea of of trying to get a bit more attacking flair. It just feels as though there's a lack of movement and desire and just busting a gut to get in there. I mean, with the players they've got, the pace they've got, they just it feels like they just need to interchange a little bit more. And and so it's not so easy for defenders just to sit back and be organised and, and be so predictable. But um, I wonder, Tim, Vitinha wasn't on the bench this week. Is that just because they have too many good players? Or what's the thinking there? Because there were two left wing backs on the bench. Hasn't made the squad and was asked about it. Nuno was asked about it after the game yesterday and just said, We've got different options. So, yeah, that's a confusing one to me. I'm assuming Nuno thinks he's not ready. Um, he's not injured. And he's the kind of player, 
you'd expect to see involved a bit more as as Nuno does change the style. And we can't forget that they are still a counter-attacking team. That's what they're that's what they're best at. And he wants to evolve them into a team that dominates games with possession, etc. That's not as we've said repeatedly. That's not going to happen overnight. And I don't think he likes the idea of committing many players into the box when they are attacking. If they if they've got three or four players in the box and the cross comes in and it's cleared, you risk the counter-attack and you risk what we saw at West Ham when you get Cody isolated on his own and Bolly isolated on his own. And that's the last thing you want for a defence that's not... You know, we love Wolves' defence, but you look at them individually, and I think they've only got... The back three yesterday have only got two international caps between the three of them. You know, So they're not recognised top, top-level defenders and they're not the best when they are isolated hence this unit this sort of defensive unit so they are they are still very much a counter-attacking team and Matt's right about the Palace game I mean Palace no one has the ball less than Palace that's a statistical fact you know they average 32% possession this season that's the lowest in the league but Wolves Wolves aren't suited to being a, a team with a lot of the ball interestingly in the 11 games in the Premier League under Nuno where they've had 60% of the ball They've only won one of those, and that was the Man City uh, freak 3-2, 10-man game, which we discussed earlier, last last December. So Wolves need to learn how to win games when they do see a lot of the ball. And again, you mentioned passes in, into the box. Um, Wolves, if, if you look at the amount of passes played into the box, including crosses, Wolves are 17th in the league. They've only done it 122 times this season, which is half of Liverpool's total already after six games. And it was the same last season. They were 18th in the league last season for, for passes and crosses into the box. They're just not that type of team. And Jimenez is often the man who starts these attacks that they have. So you can't expect him to be a poacher in the six-yard box and a man who connects the play from deep and scores all their goals. It's just asking too much of him. So they need to change their style a little bit if, if they're going to score those type of goals. And they need to win a few penalties. They've got the ability. They've got the trickery. Look at Pedence. Remember when he won that penalty against Everton? He made that happen. And that was right on the stroke of half time. Wolves, of course, don't score many in the first half, as we know. And went on to win 3-0. And they've only scored one penalty in the Premier League since January. That was that one. And you look at Palace, not so much last season, but the season before, they scored 10 penalties in the Premier League. And Matt, wouldn't you say that with the ability they've got and that pace, that they should should be creating far more havoc in the box for defenders than they are. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you look at, you say, like Crystal Palace, Saha's the one, isn't he? He, he? he takes players on in the box and, and that's how you know a lot of their penalties come from. Wolves have got Traore, Pedence, Neto, even Jimenez to a degree, that as soon as they can get the ball, if they get in the box, no one wants to touch them. It's it's a perfect opportunity for them to, to create these opportunities. So it's just a matter of them being confident as a team to get up the pitch, get into to these areas and be able to give the licence to these players to sort of get into the box and, and create opportunities. I think you look at it like you said, like the players don't seem to want to maybe bust a gut to get in the box. I think it's all, you know, try and have this nice tippy-tappy foot, football, which you, you're trying to slowly get it up the pitch, go from one side, someone have a little touch, Jimenez come short, have a little touch, and then you go out the other side. It needs to be quick. It needs to be, you know, sharp, pass, get turned, going straight away. Yes, it's a bit more of a counter-attack, but it's not if you're doing it in the right way and you're keeping possession. But then as soon as you get into a, an opportunity, you go quick. It still looks like they... 
they work the ball, they get into an opportunity and it's still slow. You still, you're waiting for Traore to do something rather than someone else taking the opportunity, getting it and going and doing it themselves. I think they're, they're so much of a, of, a, of a threat with that front, you say three or four, they've got it's such a threat that they should be exploiting teams with their pace and their power and, and trickery. Yeah, at the risk of stating the obvious, it's much harder to score a goal from 20 yards than it is to turn a player and go down in the box. And I'm talking about fairly here, but to draw the foul because the defender's a fraction of a second slower than your pacey player. So perhaps that's something they should be practising, aiming for, uh, because penalties can make such a difference to a season. You just need one penalty to win a game. You can be awful the entire match. How many times do we see teams do that? And we know that Palace have been good at that and they could well be... Uh, good at that, could well be their best chance of scoring. But they have added some firepower, haven't they, with the likes of Eze, very bright young talent. Yeah, they have. Uh, I mean, you still, like Sahas, I think he's scored five already now. It's He's had a fantastic start. He's been really consistent. And they are a threat. They've got uh, Basuari as well. And they've got uh, Eze, as you've said, he's a, he's a talent. Um, and they seem to be scoring goals. You know, you 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 would sort of say with Palace that they're always that one nil team, really. But they've actually they've been scoring goals. They have been that defensive unit, as as we all know. But they seem to be having a lot of confidence starting this season. And it, you know, they they've picked up some really good results. So it's it's one of them. You, you know, it's a really it's going to be another tough game for Wolves to break a team down. You know, you've got to be able to play with pace. And when you get that opportunity to, to go, because like Newcastle, Palace will be back in shape in numbers and then soaking up all of this pressure and then trying to pounce with their threats going forward. So it, it'll be a tactical game that you've just got to hope that the attacking players that Wolves have got in abundance will actually be able to, to transform an opportunity and, and either get a one-on-one situation which they can exploit or there's a fantastic cross that you're getting numbers in the box or... You're looking for a, a set piece. You know, look at the three three centre halves. They're they're all six foot five. I'm sure. You know, they should be scoring from set pieces. And you know, Martino he didn't didn't play. Oh, sorry, didn't start the other day. But his set pieces are fantastic delivery. These are massive opportunities for every club. And just finally, Matty, and thoughts on Semedo and Kilman and their emergence and how they're settling into the side. Yeah, Kilman. I've, I've been very impressed with him. I think he does. You know, he does the simple things really well, and that's that's not a that's not a bad thing. That's a fantastic thing because lots of people try to overdo everything. He's been brilliant. He's broken up play. His passing's been simple, keeping the ball moving. He's a very good size. He's been dominant in the air. I think he's been he's been very good. He's he's, he's earned his uh, his place in the team. Yes, Saez obviously went out of position um, to the left, and he could potentially go back in, but. He can be happy with how he's he started, and he's only going to improve under Nuno, as as a lot of these players have. Semedo, I was sort of maybe more on the sceptical side because of Matt Doherty was such a good player in that position. He knew the role, he knew what was required, and I was always going to be a bit sceptical. But he, he's he's growing into the game. I thought the Newcastle game was was probably his best performance. Matt Jarvis, thank you for joining us once again. You are always welcome on this podcast. We love having you on. (laughs) Thank you very much. It's always nice to be on. Oh, and keep up the good work with Woking. I do follow you very closely every week, so it's uh, it's good to have a vested interest in there. Keep up the good work. Oh, thank you. Cheers, Matt. Thank you very much. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Now, the Wolves captain, Connor Cody, has become something of a, a nation's sweetheart recently. His exuberance in playing and scoring for England was an extremely welcome antidote to the doom and gloom of life at the moment. So we thought we'd find out a little bit more about him, about his background, from one man who knows him extremely well, Carl Robinson, who is his academy coach at Liverpool. Hi, Carl. Hi, Jackie. OK. Thank you so much for breaking off from your training as manager of Oxford United. It's very good of you to do this. But no I was up there last week and um, watching you in your fine victory against MK Dons. And we were having a little chat about Connor. And you were telling me all about how you nabbed him at an early age. And I thought, well, we need to tell our listeners all about this because they'll love this. You did. No, I just, you know what? When, when you see Connor doing well, it's, you know, sometimes in, in coaching, you, you come across certain families that, just conduct themselves in, a, in an impeccable way. They, they leave the sun to be developed by coaches and coached and they just give him tremendous support. And I just, he was just one of them young people that was uh, was always a nice person and it's so nice to see him doing well. Tell us a bit more about when you first saw him. <laughs> I'll get in trouble oh, for this on. one, Jackie, because he was at Everton, weirdly. But in the old academy days, I used to, you, you could... Up until nine, you could play for in your age, like to Birmingham and Wolves and, and Villa and West Brom, and until you signed an academy form, that then you then you became that, that then that was your team and that and they were your players. So we used to go training with Everton, and he was the best. He was the best young player for his age in that around that area, and um, we 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 fought really hard to bring him in. I remember Steve Highway and and the Liverpool deciding that we could do a. A, a young coaching session at half time, one of the European Cup nights at Anfield. Um, so young Connor came along. I think he must have only been seven at the time. And uh, yeah, so his first time he ever actually trained at Liverpool was was probably at Anfield in front of forty odd thousand people. Um, and thankfully that was enough for him to 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 sign and to stay at the football club and, and to make sure that we had one of the better players in the area playing for Liverpool. So he could have been an Everton player otherwise. Is that right? If it wasn't for you. No, not for not, not for me, but for Liverpool uh, and what they put on that day. It was, uh, it, yeah, it was a way of getting young players to to come to Liverpool. To obviously the competition that year, Manchester United, Manchester City, Everton, and so on and so forth. It was always very difficult. So to do something like that, give us the greatest opportunity to sign him. And from that day on, Conor was just a, a very very talented young individual with a tremendous brain for football. Um, he, he always got around different things that he wasn't wasn't so great at. He always found a way of thinking himself around it. And he was technically outstanding as well, even at such a young age. And what about the character? Because that's what that's <laughs> really what sets him apart. I mean, he's a fantastic footballer in the way he's developed at centre-half and his diagonal passes out to the right wing. I mean, he's just wonderful as a player. But really, it's his personality that's so engaged him with Wolves fans and the wider population now. And when did you <laughs> first really realise that, that he had that character? Well, his mum and dad are um, really grounded people and, and lovely people as well. And every time you spoke to them, it was just there was just a, a lovely vibe that came from them. And obviously, I think he's got another brother called Harrison who's also at the academy, uh, younger than than, than Connor. Um, so the family were, were quite well connected with, and, and we knew them quite well as well. And they sort of they backed everything that he tried to do. And seeing him when he scored for England, that wasn't so much a it it was a proud moment for him, and I'm sure for all the Wolves fans, very proud of obviously seeing one of their players doing that. But 
Equally, if you're a, a football fan, we get so much criticism now with the modern-day football and how they conduct themselves, how they speak, and how they can't be themselves. We, we spoke about this as well, didn't we, about the, so, the media trained, but it becomes, I think, sometimes a bit of a negative because you don't get to see the actual person or understand the person. And Connor's interview after playing for England was just was just him. And it wasn't anything that was trained or anything that was different. It was just it was just how you know him as a young as a young person. And I think that's one of the biggest testaments that you can give to any young player that comes through is is be yourself and and try and make sure that you hold yourself with a bit of decorum in class, but try not to be someone that you're not. And Connor's certainly done that. And I think that's why everybody sort of really likes him and really sort of can connect with him. Carl, it's Tim here. You, you mentioned his football brain. Is that is that the key reason behind his, his evolution into a now what is an England centre-half? Yeah, well, obviously, looking from afar, um, the way the, the football club in itself has, has found a way of of utilising him is uh, I don't think anybody else would have seen that in the middle of a three. I think the system suits him. <clears throat> his brain certainly helps as well. Uh, his range of passings is outstanding, as as all the probably the Wolves fans will, will sort of see week in week out. Um, but uh, yeah, he, he's a, he's a football person. Um, uh, he, he's a, he's a student of it. He he knows what's going on. Probably in all the leagues around England, he he'll know who's playing who. And I think he's the type of person that will want to watch football and want to get better. I suppose, you, I know you speak to him on a consistent basis, but if you ask him now, probably he still wants to be better than what he is today, tomorrow. And I think that's a real testament to him as a person. And that's where his, his, his improvement certainly gone very rapidly over the last probably 18 months is, is his willingness to want to be better. And his football brain is... Is very very good as well. And did the coaches always see him as a midfielder from an early age, or was it open to his development? I think it's hard when you're working with young people to, to pigeonhole them into one position. If you look at some of the best young youth developers in in world football, probably being over in Holland and Ajax, and they, even though they have a very rigid system in how they believe the game should be played, there's a rotation element that comes to all of the players, so they have a basic understanding of the roles and responsibilities in all of them, they call them numbers, we call them positions. And I think it's important that you do that. And so you, you, it's so hard to pigeonhole a young player. Like As a young player, Trent Alexander-Arnold was a striker. So you, you, just, as you can see, how they've all evolved into different positions over time. I think that's important to coach the technique and to develop the person and let the game at certain stages develop the position. And then it's about then the coach once the position is developed, then develop the position with him as a young person. So I think there's so many different strains to development of young players. It's especially at that young, it was just a case of letting them play. He was he always was a midfield player for us. He because he always had good, he had a great ability to retain the football and pass the football. But I think it was open to to see where he got when he got to a certain age. And how does it feel for you now, having coached him at that age and, and known him as a seven-year-old, going on to play and score for England as a centre-half and then see the type of interviews and, and the reaction from people around football and the wider public as well? Yeah, it, we've got no responsibility whatsoever. I think it doesn't matter who you are as a coach. The, the most important thing is that you try and build some sort of coaching session, but the players have to implement that and they have to develop themselves within that themselves on and off the football pitch. So any coach that takes all responsibility for developing a young person is, is a bit naive in some ways because there's so many different there's so many different things that you do as a coach to support them. And seeing Connor coming through the academy in the way that he did and, and, and then taking a few knocks because obviously he's gone away from Liverpool and to now find himself in a top half Premier League team and playing for England is, is again, like I say, it's, it's just a tremendous testament to him as a person. 
I remember I, I did text him not long ago, and there, there used to be a, a saying with all the young players. Bill Bindrove was one of our. Uh, it was he was the priest at the football club, and he used to coach the young players, and he used to say to them, "More, what's more important than being a good footballer, and it's being a good person." Or a good boy at that stage, and it, it's it's no coincidence that a lot of them young players that were at the football club, one of Steve Iway's big big traits as a developer of, of young footballers and men was that we had to make sure that they were good people first, and the good people tended to want to work harder than anybody else, and they wanted to develop and they wanted to listen, and they're some of the key fundamental factors of young players' development, and he's certainly one of them that certainly shone. Yeah, he's certainly gone on to reach his potential, hasn't he? And there could still be more to come. Thank you so much, Carl Robinson. So I'll take care. On to some tweets. Adam Doherty says, 16 goals in their last 15 league games is very poor. And Tim, we cannot argue with that. It is. So that's 15 games since lockdown. And I wrote a piece on this recently. Shots, Crosses, dribbles, chances, everything down. Everything's down since lockdown from a Wolves' point of view. You know, they are less exciting to watch and the stats back that up. However, I'm gonna I'm gonna contrast that with a very interesting stat which was sent to me the other day. Since February twenty third, which you'll remember was just before lockdown, since February twenty third, going into the Palace game, this was, only Liverpool and Man United have earned more points than Wolves since February 23rd. In that same time frame, no Premier League team has won more games than Wolves' 10. Mm, we're so close to 11 as well. Remarkable, yeah. I think. Probably a combination of some teams having good form uh, end of last season, the start of this, Chelsea, Spurs, whatever. But it shows you there's, there's a level of consistency there. Wolves have actually earned more points per game since lockdown than they did before lockdown, going back to the start of last season. And also going into Monday's game, they'd kept 12 clean sheets in 19 league games since the start of February. And again, that's the most in the Premier League. We're talking high, high numbers here. Very good numbers defensively and points-wise and winning games. So, yes, goals are down. Yes, it's a problem. But if, if they are running more points than they were, then we can't really complain too much, I guess. Yeah, and those stats show why clean sheets are just so important. Uh, bearing in mind, they don't score that many goals. And that's the frustration with that one. I mean, I didn't even think it was a free kick, did you? No, it looks soft. It looks soft to me. Although I think he's given the referee question to answer. To be honest, I hadn't seen a replay. I didn't have replays last night, but it, it looked it looked soft when I first saw it. And then you can't really excuse the the defensive organisation of the wall and Patricio being beaten is near post. I mean, he, he got a hand to it. Nuno refused to blame him afterwards and said it was very much the wall's fault. But again, no keeper should be beaten is near post. Well, yeah, goalkeepers don't like it when. <laughs> When as lay people say that, but but yeah, it, it was there. And, and the player, Murphy, had said that he was in his hotel room the night before looking at Rue Patricio and his stats and clips of him saying that um, he doesn't like shots against him which are low and hard. So uh, I think maybe opposition forwards might be hearing that. I've not noticed that. I've certainly not noticed a free kick where that's happened. So that's, you know, ingenuity on his part and great great research, you've got to say, from a player who spent the night before looking at a lot of clips and finding weaknesses. And and well done to the analysts, by the way. They don't get the credit, do they? Absolutely, absolutely. And they've had to wait until the 88th minute to, to test it out and he's placed it absolutely perfectly um, past him. So, yeah, full credit to him for that, you've got to say. 
Adrian, I hope this guy Silver comes good in the end, but £35 million on a striker that? that doesn't come on. All a bit weird. Who's Fabio that? Silva. I watched him at half-time. He had a, he had a great half-time yesterday, <laughs> I've got to say. So his warm-up, uh, he, was all, he was all on his own. I mean, it was freezing cold yesterday. Yesterday was the first... You know, there's always that one game going into the autumn-winter period where you're underdressed because, oh, it's been quite late summer, it's fine. And then there's always that one game. Well, you probably don't know because you're so well-prepared and organised. But I was woefully underdressed yesterday. I won't make that same mistake now for the rest of winter. Um, but Silver looked freezing cold. Bless him. Stood on his own, just doing keepy-uppies for about 10 minutes at half-time. And I'm like, he's clearly not preparing to come on. And he probably doesn't think he's going to get any minutes. And lo and behold, he didn't again. And I know he's one for the future. And if Wolves had spent... Six, seven, eight million on him. I don't think anyone would really be quibbling. And who's he going to come on for? It's going to be Jimenez in the, if they keep the if they keep the system. And Jimenez, you know, scored. well, that's for when they go three or four up. Then they'll obviously bring him on. <laughs> well, <laughs> when are they going to score three goals ever? You want him to come on every game, really, if you're going to start developing him and integrating him into this team and this squad. But does Nuno trust him to come on at one nil up with ten minutes to go? For example, to kind of hold the ball up and relieve pressure, I don't, I don't think he does. So I'm not sure when he does come on really at the moment. I mean, we saw him for 20 minutes at West Ham when they were already, I think, three nil down, and obviously barely touched the ball. So yeah, the the price tag, the price tag, unfortunately for him, is there. It's not going away. And if he continues not to play, then people are going to ask where this 35 million pound striker is. Yeah, he played 13 minutes off the bench at home to Manchester City. 29 minutes off the bench away at West Ham, as well as the 90 minutes against Stoke when he, he missed a great chance from five yards out. But of course, you know, that was his uh, debut. So it would be good to see a little bit more of him. He has a huge amount of talent. That's why they spent £35 million on him. But it's a case of developing. So uh, uh, Nuno clearly knows what he's doing there. The problem, says Colin Richardson, is most of those 70 shots are speculative pot shots from 20-plus yards. They're not really carving teams apart, are they? They aren't really good chances. Pedence, we haven't mentioned him very much, but he does seem more likely to score than anybody else apart from Raul. He did. That last tweet is in reference to uh, Ruben Neves. I tweeted out earlier that he'd had 70 shots since the start of last season. And, yeah, he's gone 32 without a goal now. So, yeah, a lot of them are pot shots, but for a player of his ability, do you remember the, the range of goals he scored in the championship when he scored six or seven, in, including that, that gorgeous pass into the corner against Sheffield mm. Wednesday? I've never seen a goal mm. like it. And free kicks, and we, we're not getting enough... He's not even really testing the keeper at the moment. They tend to go all over the place, up to Rosehead. Dave Corbett, can Triori not play more? For me, he's the most exciting player at the club and the team needs to be built to allow him to run from deep and not to be doubled up on so easily. 30 minutes here or there is not enough. Now, anybody that saw him play for Spain, making his full debut, would have been thinking, well, surely this guy's got to be the first name on any team sheet, especially a team that's struggling to create and be entertaining and take the game to the opposition. Well, you've got this peculiar situation now where he's in Spain's first team, but not in Wolves's, and um, and he played great during the international break, albeit against teams which were a bit more open, and he could get his man one-on-one and really show what he could do. I mean, he taught a guy called Nelson Semedo to shreds against, against Portugal when he came on for Spain at the end of that game. We haven't seen Traore take the game by the scruff of the neck and dominate and embarrass and annihilate a fullback for a long time 
I don't think we've seen that this year, really, this calendar year. He's had good moments in games and he's made good impacts off the bench, but we haven't seen him terrorise defences for a long time. And is that an issue? is that his problem? Is that Nuno's problem? Is that teams getting used to him? Probably a combination of all three. But when you look, yeah, what he did for Spain and what he can do, and he's clearly fit and he's getting oiled up before and greased up every single game. And his shoulders, touch wood, has not been an issue for a little while. And he's one of Europe's most exciting attacking explosive talents. And he's coming on for 30 minutes at the end of a game or 20 minutes at the end of a game, replacing Daniel Pedence, who played really well. It's just not really that satisfactory and they've got to find a way to get to get more out of him. He played 90 minutes in each of the first two games of the season when Wolves won 2-0 at Sheffield United and lost 3-1 at home to Man City. But then he came off the bench for the last uh, hour or so. That was a so. win back though, wasn't it? Yeah, came off the bench for the last hour or so at West Ham, nine minutes as a sub at home to Fulham, 26 minutes as a sub away at Leeds and 23 minutes as a sub against Newcastle. You can only put yourself in the shoes of the opposition and if, when they look at the team sheet, they're going to go, oh, thank chuff for that, that trial is on the bench, aren't they? And especially the way Wolves are struggling to get in behind sides. They're all a bit patient and passing and passing and passing and not really penetrating them. The opposition would be delighted if he's not starting. Well, it's a quandary because I thought Pedence did really well yesterday. And if you look at his kind of last 10 appearances, either side of the of the two seasons, he's done pretty well, really. Neto, I thought he was great yesterday and he's really adapted well to this new role, this sort of this uh, evolution of him as a player and very intelligent, good at creating space, contributing a lot to the team, as Jota did you know, before him. So who do you drop? Um, but at the end of the day... It's about end product, it's about goals, it's about assists, it's about, it's about creating chances, it's about doing something to open up a game and make it exciting and, and, and get the best out of those around him. So Traore needs to start for me, they've got to get him into this team. Pedence, as, as nice as he's looked, hasn't come up with enough sort of end product in terms of goals and assists yet, so I'd, I'd have Traore back in for now. That's the issue, isn't it? It's the end product for the team. And you just wonder, it's not a very Nuno thing to do to give him a free role. You know, Alan St. Maximum against Wolves for Newcastle had a free role, didn't he? And uh, they had so many injury problems. They had four wingers on the pitch, didn't they? Two in central midfield. But you just wonder, what if what if Triori is just allowed to go wherever he wants and just cause a bit of havoc and just interchange of positioning and pop up on the left wing? Because at the moment, you know, opposition go, right, Triori's playing, right, you two left back, centre half, winger, double up on him. And then of course the crosses don't come in the box and it's all it's all back to square one again. Yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting and salivating prospect to just tell Traore, do the hell what you want and uh, pretty hard to manage against and pretty hard to defend. It's not a very new no way of doing things, but it no, would be not. fun to watch. It would be fun. John Turner, it was like watching paint dry. I've noticed a few teams, United and Chelsea, look mentally drained. That's actually something I meant to ask Cole Robinson because I talked to him about this last week. And his team played in the playoff final at the end of last season, which I think was about three weeks earlier than Wolves finished their season. And he was telling me about the immense strain it has on the squad when they have so little time off in the summer. And they had way more time than Wolves had. So whilst we have talked about it a lot on the pod, I do think people forget about that. And the mental fatigue, as well perhaps as the physical fatigue and the fact they can't go abroad and do what have you. I think 
it is probably worth bearing in mind, do you think? We've talked about it a lot, so we can't, we're can't, not just going to keep talking about it every mm. week because, we, because we've done it, but it is a factor and it is an excuse in my eyes, a valid excuse, especially for a team that relies so much on its organisation and its training and Nuno's a training ground manager who stands in the centre circle for every single session and he hasn't had enough time with his players or his new signings and that's going to be a factor for some time to come in my opinion. And on that note, finally, Mark, WWFC, we struggle against teams who are happy to let us have the ball. We're improving game to game. Give them more time together, then judge us. We have outrageous talent going forward nowadays. Do Wolves fans need to just chill a little bit? Because you see it all on social media in particular, because they all bombard you with with frustration. Or do you think it's just match day frustration and during the week fans kind of reflect a little bit and realise things aren't exactly going too badly? I think the frustration is is pretty valid, you know, especially in these crazy times. You're sat at home, you're not at the game, you're sat watching it on TV and you want to be entertained, really. And Wolves aren't that entertaining at the moment, so you, you can kind of beat them with that stick. Uh, and I've had my say on that, but what I would I would um, contrast that with is, is the points and uh, the results have been pretty good and they're in a decent position in the table. So, and combined with a lack of pre-season, I think, I think, I think that's sort of fair enough, really. Um, one point I would make, which we haven't spoken about, is, uh, is left wing back. Romain Saiz, you know, brilliant, well done to him, filled in when they needed him, but that's got to stop now. There are quite a few occasions against Newcastle where the ball was spread and moved out to the left wing and then Saiz either ran it out for a goal kick or lost possession or, or put a poor crossover or didn't cross it at all. So, yes, that's been great, but Nuno now has to make a tough decision He'll have to bring Marcel in at left wing back and then he'll have to either drop Kilman, who is pretty flawless again against Newcastle, very, very good, or drop the Morocco captain, Saiz. Uh, that's an extremely, extremely tough decision, but it's one he's going to have to make because Saiz cannot stay at left wing back for me. No, because you would think surely now Marcel is up to speed and as they've managed his minutes and surely that's OK now, but he does like Saiz, so it is a decision. But I mean, looking at the progress Kilman's made, and we don't want to go OTT about him, it was so much praise in the last couple of games, but deservedly so, because he really has slotted in seamlessly. And and, and the Wolves social media team did a brilliant little uh, compilation of, of his best bits, ITV Saturday Night style. And um, I would imagine Nuno might keep him on, but then it has a knock-on effect with Nuno having to make decisions on the bench because that's not easy at the moment, is it? We saw two left wing-backs the other day. He's got to try and keep players happy and that's not something he likes, is it? Having extra players who are not getting into the squad and, and having the the issues that can come with that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think he'll probably go with Saiz personally and Kilman will be back on the bench. Uh, I'd be surprised if he if he left Saiz out of the team. But, but would you, harsh. if you were in charge, would you keep Kilman? And put I, I, I think I think Kilman has played three almost perfect performances. Really, he's not not really put a foot wrong. I'd keep him. I think he's got potential to get better. You know, you're not going to see the best of a centre half after three games. They, they tend to, as they develop and bed in and get to know the team teammates around them and how they all play, they become better as players. So for him to make such a positive start after three games with potentially more to come, we know the attributes he's got. We know what those who worked with him think of him. Um, Saiz for me is 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 not the long term option at left centre half. Is Max Kilman? We don't know yet. So let's give him a chance to see what he can do. He started well. It does remind me of uh, a pod we did a couple of weeks ago. You know, towards the end of the transfer window, and I randomly threw one in there about John Stones being available. And I thought, watching this lad play, I mean, I don't want to put too much pressure on him, but John Stones does have a reputation of somebody still with a huge amount of potential in his mid twenties, and. Uh, 
He has that ability, doesn't he? Kilman can pass a ball, the composure when he stepped inside on one occasion and, and set up a, a really fine move. It's um, great the Wolves have him as an option. Any other business now, Tim? A few things to talk about. Uh, briefly, Morgan Gibbs-White is, well, he's injured, but is he having his treatment at Swansea? Yeah, I believe he's still in Swansea at the moment. Um, unlikely to see him for three months with an ankle injury, devastating blow for him. Um, in typical uh, fashion of myself as a journalist, I did write a glowing article on him um, two days before it was announced that he would be missing the next three months. But as you know, Jackie, that's just something I tend to do, right? I tend to say things are going very, very well, and then the opposite happens almost immediately afterwards. And talking of articles, which people can read for just a pound a month, grasshoppers. Yeah, so um, I just thought this was an issue... Hasn't really been explored, really. So Wolves have sent four players on loan to Grasshoppers, and Grasshoppers are now owned by the wife of Fosun chairman, Guo Guang Chang, Jenny Wang, and Sky Sun, a Wolves board member, is their president, and um, Wolves' chief European scout from last year, Bernard Scheidman, is over there as their, I think, director of football, and Ming Yang Yang went there on a free transfer after he left Wolves. So there's all these kind of connections. However, it's not an official uh, partnership or feeder club in the manner that Jamia was or FC DAC of Slovakia was. Those two ventures and partnerships had very kind of differing results, which I explored in the article. I mean, Jamia was just a bit of a waste of time, really. Um, however, this partnership maybe something that Wolves come to talk about in the future uh, and, and kind of go on the record and say, yes, you know, we've got this link, but with the ownership structures in place there, I think there's something they're reluctant to do at the moment. Um, but it's a partnership that, that looks quite promising to me. Just just very quick overview, Grasshoppers, the most successful club in, in, in Swiss football history with 27 league championships and 19 cup wins, somehow managed to find themselves relegated a couple of years ago from the Swiss league. So they're in the second tier now. Um, they've now been brought over, or, sorry, taken over as discussed by, by Jenny Wang's Hong Kong uh, company. Lots of money to invest, a new stadium on the way. So in, in, in brief, they're looking to do what Wolves did and they've signed a Portuguese manager and a number of Portuguese players uh, and they're in the second tier looking to restore the club to its former glory. So it's very familiar to what Wolves were doing four years ago. Where do Wolves come in? Well, they can send players there on loan and uh, because of the links they've got with the clubs. So Conor Roan is there, Leo Bonatini is there, Toti Gomez, who Wolves signed in the summer from Estoril, a Portuguese defender, is there. And Renat Dadashoff is there. But unfortunately, he's out for the season with how uh, he's done his ACL. But in the future, if Grasshoppers can win promotion this season and then potentially get back in Europe in a year or two's time, then this is, could be a very fruitful partnership for Wolves, who, who could potentially send some of their fringe youngsters who they really like, people like Morgan Gibbs-White, I don't know, for example, Ryan Giles, whatever, to a team that's in Europe and challenging for a title in Switzerland. That's the dream. Um, that's why they think, someone said to me, the possibilities are endless with, with this with this kind of link-up. So it's very much one to keep an eye on um, uh, in the short and long term. Yes, very interesting stuff. Thank you. And Wolves women winning yet again, by the way, League and Cup they're winning. This time it was in the League 3-2 away at Lincoln, one of the better sides in the division. 90th minute winner from Lowry Walker and Wolves still top of the table after six games, 18 points, goal difference of plus 34 and they are five points clear of Doncaster Rovers Bells, the mighty, once mighty Doncaster Rovers Bells in Division One Midlands. And we also have to say congratulations to Neil Collins and Kevin Foley, Tim. 
Yeah, so, well, fantastic achievement from them. Neil Collins has been in the job uh, at least a couple of years now and was joined by Kevin Foley in January. I spoke to him just before he left for America because he was coaching at Wolves, Kevin Foley. Um, so they beat Louisville City 2-1 in the Eastern Conference Final at the weekend and they are in the USL Championship Final next Monday night where they play Phoenix Rising. So... He's doing really well, is Neil Collins. And, um, you know, he's had the time to develop his team and his squad and his coaching staff. And they've they've got a fantastic team together this year. And, I've, you know, I've spoke to Kevin Foley about it. The facilities over there are great. They really think they're onto something and they're trying to grow um, grow something a lot bigger. So, that they're doing, well, they're doing fantastic. Can't do any more than they're doing this season. So, good luck to them next Monday night. On a sad note, so sorry to hear of the death of Daryl Grove, who was a host on the Total Soccer Show podcast, which is something I've listened to over the years. He was a massive Wolves fan based out in Richmond in the United States, and he will be very sorely missed. He was a fantastic analyst and pundit and host. So much enthusiasm for English football, world football, women's football, the whole lot, and very talented Guy, a very nice guy as well by all accounts and a big Wolves fan to boot. So we're so sorry to everybody uh, who knew him and his family as well on uh, the Total Soccer Show. So it is Crystal Palace on Friday night, Tim, and it's Wolves' first box office fixture. It is BT Sport box office. I'll be presenting the darts on ITV4, so I'll have to... I don't know whether I pay for it then and sort of catch it out of the corner of my eye or record it and watch it the next day or in time for the podcast? I don't know. Do you think Wolves fans will go for the fourteen ninety five? Someone will get you a free feed, I'm sure. You are, Jackie only oh, doesn't I don't pay. Do that. <laughs> I do. I pay God, I pay Do you know what? I, I'm so glad that I was doing this Serie A highlights last night because I feel like I'm getting something back for my £120 a year because I accidentally subscribed paying £99 for two Wolves games last season for Europe and then they're on BT Sport after that, which is £27 a month and then the Sky, which is... Oh, anyway, it all adds up. It really, really is expensive if you have the whole lot. Um, but it'd be interesting to see a lot of other fans are not doing it and putting money into food banks, etc. The likes of Leeds and Liverpool have done incredibly well. But two sides to every argument. A lot of fans will be, you know, duty bound to pay because they want to watch their team and it's and it's Friday night and... I think you'd get a lot in the pubs if it wasn't for the for the coronavirus situation. You know, Wolverhampton's in tier two. I went to watch the um, Villa away game at Leicester uh, for an article for The Athletic uh, last weekend. I went out in the pubs of Birmingham on Sunday night. Villa away, it's on Sky Box Office, anticipating there'd be a lot of people there. But no, you know, with the tier two restrictions, you can't go and meet someone from another household in the pub. So the pubs are empty and people are really at home, forced to pay 15 quid for uh, what will... I don't know, if I was a betting man, I wouldn't say it's going to be a classic on Friday. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 an appalling situation. And, yeah, the, the work that's been done for food banks up and down the country by football supporters is, is heartening to, to see and hopefully sends a message to those in power that, that you can't charge these ludicrous prices for, for unwanted games that they're not going to be on telly otherwise. I just have to put the other side of the story. And there is one because a lot of people do see it differently. Maybe people who don't pay for everything already, but... People who are fans of EFL clubs and some of them who certainly don't have the likes of Adama Traore and Raul Jimenez to entertain them have been paying £10 ever since lockdown to watch their teams every week. So some would say, is it really that different paying an extra £4.95 for matches that we didn't used to see if they weren't scheduled on television? Yes, of course, people could pay to go, but only a certain number up to capacity. And 
we didn't used to be able to watch those games. Sometimes Wolves played at two o'clock on a Sunday after playing Thursday night in Europe. And if they weren't the scheduled Sky or BT game, then you couldn't watch it. You didn't have the option to pay 15 quid to watch it. So that would be their argument. But yeah, but it's unprecedented times. And with the amount of money that's in football, you think that fans will be maybe done, be done a bit of a favour. And what I would say about the lower league uh, argument is that, you know, a few hundred people paying £10 to watch South End is vital money for South End's coffers, whereas the same can't be said for, for Wolves, really, who've, who've But got... why would you say that? Because people have to... They have higher bills, don't they? Clubs have bigger salaries, the bigger clubs in the Premier League. It's not... They might get more money, but they spend more money in wages. Yeah, but they get but they get so much in TV broadcast revenue, don't they? You know, you're still getting your 100, 100 million a season. Yeah, but a lot of it's allocated in wages. They still have to pay it out. They just don't get it back unless people buy the fabulous new range of merchandise I've been keeping an eye on on the Wolves Club website but never mind hey ho it is um, it is a heated debate which will run and run but thank you Tim anyway what are you writing about this week uh, a few bits and bobs I'm going to look at the first half second half discrepancy because it's been it's been such a statistical anomaly for quite a long time now and a couple of bits on a couple of other players to be revealed in the coming week Okay, thank you, Tim. And we'll be back next Monday reflecting on the Wolves game against Crystal Palace. And hopefully you'll have digested all of Tim's content this week for just a pound (laughs) a month on The Athletic. And don't forget, you can listen to all the podcasts without any adverts on The Athletic app. And you can read all the wonderful Long read articles on there, all in-depth analysis. We'll see you this time. And to play us out. To play us out, Jackie Oatley is Madonna. I am not singing like a virgin. No way. Come on, Bab. <laughs> <laughs> the irony, like a virgin. Outrageous. Like a virgin. <laughs> hey, see you next week. Ooh.